Second uh, Chronicles chapter seven, verse 14. You've all heard this so many times. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And that particular little verse is for us because we're we're the people who are called by God's name. And so he's encouraging us to be close to him and to try to get close to him. Now, this didn't come from the New Testament. Um, there, there's an old saying that says that the new is in the old concealed and that the old is in the new revealed. And that's and that's one of these times when we're looking at the Old Testament, but we're going to see Jesus. And that's what we always want to be able to do is as we do look at this. Today, I'd like to talk about something that, um, let's see here. I'd like to talk about something that that took place a long time ago, and it took place over a long period of time. And so I, I think I would like to just tell it as a story because it did take such a long period of time. And I will read some scripture, and I'll read it from the New Living Translation because it reads so so smoothly and so evenly. But it's a story of three different men, and it's a story of promises, and it's a story of gifts, and it's a story of God's other kind of judgment. These are promises that were made, these were gifts that were given, and these were things that might have been, but never, never happened. And it's so sad because it could have happened so easily. And we start off with David's son, Solomon. David, of course, was a man after God's own heart, and God said that. And throughout all of the writings in the Old Testament about Solomon and Rehoboam and Jeroboam, who we're going to talk about today, we hear God referencing the fact that for the sake of David, I'm doing this. For the sake of David, I'm not doing that. And God loved David because David loved and worshipped God. And all you have to do is go to Psalm 19, 119, and you can see a whole, the longest psalm in the whole Bible. And you can see time after time where David is proclaiming his love for God's word and for God himself. And so we know that David did love. We don't see that in Solomon. Solomon prayed for wisdom. Well, let me just read what happened. There was two visions. And the first vision starts in First Kings chapter three. And it goes something like this. Give me an understanding heart. This is what this is what Solomon uh, God I'll set the stage for this. God came to Solomon in a, in a, in a dream, and he, he asked Solomon what he wanted. And, uh, and he said, I'll give it to you. What do you want? And Solomon says, said, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or death for your enemies, I will give you what you ask for. I will give you a wise and an understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. And so that was the beginning of Saul's, Saul's relationship with God. And Saul had also been 
been told to build the temple. And so that's what he began to work on. Did I say Saul? It's Solomon. <laughs> Solomon. He, he, he told uh, Solomon to build the temple, and he began working on it. And it took him 20 years to build that temple. A beautiful, beautiful temple, the first one. And Solomon reigned for four years. And so the first 20 years of it, he spent building this temple. And after the temple was finished, then he went again before God. And this time, God appeared to him in another vision. And in 1 Kings chapter 9, beginning at verse 2, then the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had done before at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your petition. I've set this temple apart to be holy. This place that you have built, wherein my name will be honored forever. I will watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. If you will follow me with integrity and godliness, as, your, as David your father did, obeying my commandments, decrees, and regulations, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty over Israel forever. For I made this promise to your father David, one of your descendants will always sit on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants abandon me and disobey the commands and decrees that I have given you, and you serve and you worship other gods, then I will uproot from Israel from this land and <clears throat> that I have given them, and I will reject this temple that I have made holy and, on, uh, and, and honor my name. I will make Israel an object of mockery and ridicule among nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by will be appalled and will gasp in horror. And they will ask, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? And the answer will be, because his people abandoned the Lord their God and brought their ancestors, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt, and they worshipped the other gods, and they bowed down to them, and this is why the Lord has brought these disasters on them. The new temple was built. Solomon was established. He had a reputation all over the whole Middle Eastern part of the world as being the wisest man that anyone had ever known. And arguably, he was the wisest man. But he had some shortcomings, and one of them is that he couldn't tame his passions. And so as he got older, he felt that he had to have more and more things. And it must have been frustrating for him because we attribute, it, we attribute the, the uh, book of Ecclesiastes to, to Solomon. And, of course, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you see that there's a man who is very, has become very cynical because he says over and over again that there's nothing new under the sun. All is vanity. All is vain. And finally, at the very, very end of the book, very, very end of it, he says the only thing the man can do is just love his God. And he goes through a lot of things. There's an awful lot of things that he speaks of in that book. Well, he loved many women, and he had a whole bunch of wives, 700 of them. That's a lot of wives. That's excess. 300 concubines. I guess those would be mistresses today. And that was way in excess too. And God told him, don't do this. Because if you do this, remember these wives that he had were not Jewish. They were not Hebrew. They were not of his own tribe. They were 
people from these Gentile nations around them, and they were all pagan. And God knew that eventually that they would turn him toward the paganism, and that's exactly what happened to it. And so Solomon then ended up worshiping false gods. And so now the Lord said to him, since you have not kept my covenant and you have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and I give it to one of your servants. But for the sake of your father, David, I will not do this while you are still alive. See how much God loved David. That is so neat. I will take the kingdom away from your son. And even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be king of one tribe for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. So now things are going to start changing. And he's going to give both Jeroboam, who is his servant, who is Solomon's servant. God's going to give Jeroboam an opportunity to serve and to be a good king. And 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 I've I've got the scripture here. It's kind of long, and I'm probably not going to read. It. I'm going to paraphrase it. But what he did with Jeroboam was he there was a, there was a prophet. Um, I'll read that part of it. One day, as Jeroboam was leaving Jerusalem, the pop the the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh met him along the way. Ahijah was wearing a new cloak, and the two of them were alone in a field. And Ahijah took hold of the new cloak that he was wearing. And he tore it into 12 pieces. And then he said to Jeroboam, take 10 of these pieces, for this is what the God of Israel says. I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give 10 tribes to you. But I will leave him one tribe for the sake of my servant David. See that again? There it is. And for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of the tribes of Israel. For Solomon has abandoned me and worshipped Ashtoreth the goddess of the Sidonians, and Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Molech, and the god of the Amorites. He has not followed my ways, and he's done not done what is pleasing in my sight. Like, and, and not like his father David did. And so again, he is, he is failing, and, and uh, Jeroboam is going to get the opportunity now to have the greatest part, Israel was by far the greatest part of the kingdom. There was ten tribes there. And Benjamin and Judah were always associated as one tribe. And and so God God then left Benjamin and Judah or Judah to to um uh Rehoboam, which was Solomon's son. And that's another interesting story, because when we pick up and we find out that Rehoboam had every opportunity to serve God and to serve his people and to be a good king. And there's and of course some of you know the story, maybe all of you do, you read it before, but you know what happened. And that's that 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 both Jeroboam and Rehoboam ended up in Israel after Solomon had died and they had gone up there because the the men of Israel had called them and they were trying to decide who was going to be king and who was going to be leaders. And so, and so Rehoboam had the opportunity to make his case for, for being the king of Israel. And, and so the, the, he had two sets of counselors. One were older men who had served under his father, Solomon. And the other one was the younger men who were his buddies, basically. They were the guys that he palled around with. 
and they were his advisors. And the older advisors who were who were older and by their the very virtue of the fact that they'd been older and been more experienced and had served under Solomon himself, who was one of the wisest, if not the wisest person who ever lived, counseled them, counseled Rehoboam. If you want to serve your people and if you want to get the loyalty of your people, then remove some of these these burdens that they have that Solomon put upon them in order to build the temple. And you will have these people as your loyal subjects from from then on. And then the young guy said, uh, uh, well, no, don't do that at all. As a matter of fact, make it far, far, far worse. And and Rehoboam decided to make it far, far worse. And and it was an uproar right then and there. And the nation of Israel, the, the, the tribes of Israel said, we don't want you for a king. Go back where you came from. And we'll take Jeroboam. And so that's what happened. So now, again, we have opportunities for these kings to do things that are the kind of things that Jesus would show us in the New Testament. Being a servant. A king being a servant to his subjects. And in this, in this way, being a servant by removing some of the burdens that they already had. But that didn't happen. And so what happened, what did happen, though, was that was that Rehoboam ended up going back down to Israel and the two kings, both Rehoboam and Jeroboam, were at war with each other for the rest of their lives. And it wasn't it wasn't a hot war where you were constantly sending out big armies and making big, huge battle decisions. It were little skirmishes that took place all the time. And so this is what happened because of all of these promises that were that were made. And then all of these promises that were broken when these two kings didn't didn't live up or didn't obey what God had commanded them to do. And you notice when I started talking, I said something about that other kind of judgment. When we think of God's judgments, we usually think of interventionary judgment where God steps into a situation and says enough is enough and he judges it. And that's the kind of thing that we're used to seeing. And usually all of God's judgments probably are going to end up that way one way or the other. But there's another way that God judges too. And that is by allowing things to progress in a way that is a very, very, very slow. Well, here, I have, I have something down here. Let me just go right here. Unret- un- I have the, the term here. I got this from Ravi Zacharias because I like the way he puts this. Unrestrained deterioration taking place steadily is what he calls it. And I thought that was so good. Unrestrained deterioration taking place steadily. In other words, it didn't happen overnight. It happened because... The restraint that was there was removed, and so now it was unrestrained, and it happened steadily over a period of two, three lifetimes. And finally, this kingdom was split. It was irrevocably split, and then within 100 years, 150 years later, it was complete. the northern king, kingdom was completely lost, and the Assyrians had come in had com- and completely destroyed it, and and had carried off some people into captivity, but had intermarried other people in Israel 
And so the nation was never the same after that. Judah lasted a little longer, but that's a, it's another story. Okay. And so anyway, I think what, what, what I'm trying to get at here today is that, is that God, he loves us so much and he has so many things for us. We constantly are seeing all these wonderful things that he has planned for us. In, in uh, Jeremiah, he says, I have all these wonderful things planned for you. If you will seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And he has all these things. But he also, because we're humans and because we're sinners, he also wants us to, he wants us to know that there's consequences of not being obedient. And those consequences are there. And these men found out. They were arrogant. They were, were they abused their power. They couldn't control their passions. And as a consequence of all of that, they ended up losing their kingdoms. We like to think of Solomon in, in a good light. And Solomon did a lot of really great things. There's no doubt about that. But we also have to remember, too, that Solomon lost his kingdom. And he lost his kingdom because he didn't obey God. That last 20 years of his reign was abysmal, as we can see that. That carries into the New, Test New Testament, too. The unrestrained deterioration that I was talking about further also relates to the New Testament because we have a passage in the New Testament that also talks about restraint. And that, and, and, and that passage in the New Testament, what we see in the Old Testament has already occurred. And so we can look at, that, at those events that have already occurred and we can say, yes, I understand it. And I, and I can find ways that I can apply it to my life today. And now we look at the New Testament and we look at prophetic words in the New Testament and we can say, yes, I can understand it, but now I can hope for the future when it is, when it is fulfilled. And this comes from Thessalonians. This comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And, and Paul is writing, we're talking about the end times here. And Paul is writing, do you, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you all these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So God is still restraining and he will continue to restrain. But when he removes that restraint, then we can expect that bad things are going to happen. Now, the prayer that I started off with today was a prayer for us. The rest of the world uh, is the rest of the world. And the rest of the world already stands condemned. That's a harsh thing to say, but this is the way it is. And, and our 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 challenge in our command from Jesus is to go out and to preach the gospel and to try to bring the word with Gideon Bibles okay to 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 people who don't know him who don't know Jesus but we're, we're we've got a lot of problems in, our, in the church too lots of problems and they're getting deeper all the time now there's there's a video that's going around that you, you'll get a chance to see and, uh, and, and, and it's deep. And that's what we need to be praying for because we're being attacked from every direction. We're getting it from the world. We're getting it from 
the Islamic states. We're getting it from our own government. We're getting it from factions within our own country. We're getting it from other people who call themselves Christians. And so it's getting getting tough. But then I'll leave you with this. And that's the best times in the church. And people say this all the time. And you can see it. The best time in the church is when it's at its, its greatest adversity. Because that's when God can do wonderful things. That's when, when we're weak and he can be strong. And so that's what I'll leave you with today then, okay? Uh, let's pray. Father Lord, um, it's, it's a tough time that we live in. And, but you, Lord, are sovereign. And you, Lord, are great. And you, are Lord, are, are, are awesome God. And you can do wonderful things and you can you can turn things around and you can change people's lives, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to do that with us, Lord, and give us opportunities to be your servants, Lord, and and to to do the things that you would want us to do. In your name, Jesus, we pray your awesome name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rick. Just reminded as Rick was speaking about uh, my my old friend, the one that that died. I I saw in his life uh, a very active refusal of the gospel, and and uh, was visiting with a friend coming home last night uh, from the airport, and uh, said, "Well, you know, do you feel badly that perhaps you could have said more?" And my answer was, no, uh, I don't, because I did share the gospel with him every time we got together. He was probably sick of hearing it from me because I would just say, look, you have to do this. You get one shot. And, and just looking around and seeing, yes, our world is spinning out of control. And uh, I know uh, Dan and I sometimes are visiting and we talk about, uh, our, our imaginary friend Steve, <laughs> and, and talk about like if you live next door to Steve, uh, you can know that Steve drives a white car, and you can know that Steve dresses funny or whatever. If that just came to my mind, but I mean, you can know about Steve, but that's not enough. You can live next door to Steve for 15 years and never meet Steve. And, and so we talk about the difference between knowing about Steve, knowing about Christ, and knowing Christ. And time is short. And my prayer for our church is that we will all take the ministry that he's given every one of us. He's given us different and various ministries. That's true. There's something for all of us to do. But each one of us has the command, the, the, the commission. Uh, I so appreciate Joe sharing this morning. Uh, the the ministry of reconciliation, that we're ambassadors in a dark, dying, screwed up, messed up world. And there are so many charlatans, so many phonies in the church these days that are peddling the word of God. And, and, and my prayer is far be it from us to know that my neighbor Steve, whoever, died, and I never took the time to share the love of Christ. This is serious work that we're called to, folks. It's very serious. 
It's joyful work because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And uh, we are ambassadors. We are people who have answers, not only for eternity, but we have answers for this life. That you can go through all kinds of trials, and, and we do. We go through a lot. Man, I just came from two days of a whole bunch of real hurting people, and I know there are people in the church here this morning that are hurting, that are going through trials, that have heartaches, that perhaps have failing health or finances or whatever it is. And yet we know that Christ is our, Christ in me is my hope for glory. And, and, and that I can actually share that with somebody that's hurting. I don't have to be skilled. Like I said, I, I just, I just want to be used. And, and so that's my prayer for us, that we understand that there is a huge difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus and, and, and knowing about him using the term flippantly Lord and, and, and yet not appropriating that place in my heart for him to be the Lord of my life. And so I just want to, again, I want to encourage you folks as we, uh, as we finish up this morning and uh, all that um, uh, we need to and we want to be about our Father's business, to, to be about the things of the kingdom first, the other issues of our lives after that. Because we know that uh, I was sharing with these people from Matthew chapter 11 where uh, Jesus, here they are, they're just, they're just bleeding uh, in that first year after their daughter has, has passed and, and sharing with Bob and Kathy were their names. Uh, you know, Jesus says, come to me when you're weary, when you're, 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 when you're broken, when you're heavily laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll, I'll, I'll give you peace. I, I told Bob at one point, I said, Bob, you know what? Jesus offers us a trade. And this is something the Holy Spirit gave me just in that moment. We are sitting talking on, on uh, Friday night, uh, uh, just he and his wife and I uh, in this house that we were in. And, and I said, he offers us a trade. And, and I, I can't think of a better deal in the universe. He says, you come to me and you give me your, your pain. You give me your brokenness. You give me your dented, hurting devastated heart and I'll give you my peace I'll trade you I'll give you my rest I'll give you my joy in the middle of hard circumstances and that's what he extends to us and that's what he wants to use us to extend to others around us so that's my prayer for our church let's pray Father thank you for this morning thank you for Joe Thank you for Rick, for uh, just, Lord, for your word going out. Uh, my heart is encouraged, Lord, at this little church. I just so often think of the church at Philadelphia where he says, you're a little church, you have a little power, but you're keeping my word. You're doing what I've set before you to do. And that's our prayer as a church, corporately and individually. As we leave this place, that we would understand that your love for us is so great. You simply want us to be out there and sharing that love with others that are uh, just without hope. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, without whom we can do nothing. So I pray, Father, send your Holy Spirit to each of us, that we could walk out this thing called Christianity that you called us to.
We love you. We praise you. And we come before you in Jesus' name. Amen.